I'm Jeff Ebert, and welcome to Gospel Wabi Sabi, God's good news for imperfect people. Wabi Sabi is a Japanese concept about finding beauty in things that have been kind of beat up or maybe damaged in life over the years. So it's kind of like the difference between a brand new Bible fresh out of the box and that Bible you've used for years that has all your notes and favorite passages underlined. There's a, there's a beauty in that old Bible, even if the pages are starting to fall out. I believe that's how Jesus looks at us. He sees our beauty, the beauty of the image of God in every person. And that's what he came to redeem and to help us to embrace, a beauty he gives to us through his grace. And in this podcast, I'm going to be doing a chapter-by-chapter walk through the Gospel of John so that we can see Jesus in action, leading people to a new relationship with God the Father through his teachings and example, but also through his sacrificial death, his resurrection and ascension. This is season one, episode 14 on the authority of Jesus from the second half of John chapter five. If you'd like to offer your financial support for the production of Gospel Wabi Sabi, you can see how to do that in the episode description that's listed in your podcast application. Would appreciate any support you could give. I'm going to start reading at verse 16 of chapter five. I'm going to do a little recap of what happened in the first half of the chapter where Jesus healed an invalid man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus simply said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy jumped to his feet and walked in front of everybody. People stared at him with their mouths hanging open, but there were a handful of people in the crowd, priests and members of the ruling class who didn't like it because they saw Jesus as a renegade who refused to obey their Sabbath regulations. And uh, they believed he was a blasphemer against God. So this is John chapter five, starting with verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that they may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. As I went through this passage and the verses that go to the end of chapter 5 this week, I just felt like, you know, the proverbial man who was given a bucket and told to empty the Atlantic Ocean. This is deep stuff, and I'm afraid I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface. I'm going to break it into actually three parts, I think, because there's so much to ponder here in what Jesus says about himself and his relationship with God the Father. Jesus is replying to the misunderstanding of the religious leaders in what is a very courageous act because to do so was to set him on the pathway to the cross. Their hostility against Jesus here is only because he doesn't do anything to calm their fears or soften his tone. Instead, he kind of doubles down, becomes even bolder in declaring his role as the Messiah. 
It took power to stand up to them at this point, maybe as much power as did the healing of the paralyzed man. So Jesus begins sort of a formula of speech that he uses often in the Gospels in verse 19. Truly, truly, or uh, very truly, I say to you. Whenever you read those words in the Gospels, really pay close attention to what comes next. Because this is Jesus' way of inviting people to listen to truth that is absolutely fundamental and basic. And Jesus begins to unfold the secret that, that he is not self-sufficient. I love the way way Ray Stedman puts this. He says, he talks about how the son can do nothing by himself. This could be one of the most radical statements in the entire Bible. The son can do nothing of his own accord. Now, Jesus does not mean that it's physically impossible for him to do something apart from the father. I mean, any more than it's physically impossible for us to do things apart from God. Of course we can. And we do act on our own all the time. And Jesus could have too. Later on in this account, he says that the Father has given him power to act out of himself. Jesus could have created a whole universe over which he was God. He had the power to do so. But the whole point of this is he chose never to exercise that power for his own benefit. Never. This is the explanation of his behavior in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil to change you know, stones into bread for his own satisfaction or to jump from the temple to gain the applause of people or to gain the whole world for himself by bowing to Satan. He steadfastly refused to do so. And this is the key about God's power. God gives his power to those who will not use it for their own benefit. This is one of the most profound secrets in Scripture. The Son can do nothing. The can is not one of physical, but of moral impossibility. Anything else would violate his integrity and his identity as the Son of God. He is one with the Father in every way. There is no way to separate them without destroying the fabric of the entire universe. The Son can do nothing of his own accord. And even if he could, he would not, and he never did. What he did do was obey the inner vision and calling he receives. He says the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. They are the same. He is looking at God the Father with an inner vision and seeing what the heart of the father wants to do in any and every situation. And he immediately obeys that. Within him, through the Holy Spirit in him, Jesus somehow knows the will of the Father. In every situation, every conversation, an impulse arises within him which Jesus knew was of the Father, because it was in line with the character of the Father as he's been revealed. No impulse ever arose in our Lord's mind that was not in line with his oneness with the Father. We can see that in work in this incident in the Pool of Bethesda. There was a lot of people, a big crowd of sick people lying there. And yet when Jesus' eyes fell upon just one man, he sensed within that here was a man whom the Father knew had reached the end of his rope, whom the Father understood was helpless and hopeless, who was ready to receive God's grace. That was the Father at work, stirring him, moving him to respond with compassion to a need that Jesus saw, that inner vision of what the Father wants done. And when Jesus sensed within himself what God wanted done, there was an immediate response. He said the word, rise, and the man was on his feet. Now notice how Jesus puts this. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Does that sound familiar? The apostle Paul said essentially the same thing in chapter 3 
of the second letter to the Corinthians. And I quote, This is the confidence we have in him, not as though there were anything coming from us, but everything coming from God. That's chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. That, Paul declares, is the new covenant, this new arrangement for living with God. Nothing from us, everything from God. And on that basis, Paul did his mighty work in planting churches that changed the course of history. Here is the second secret of the release of God's power. Nothing coming from me, everything coming from God. Nothing for or from me, but everything coming for the Father and from the Father. That's why this is such an amazing and important few verses. This is what Jesus is modeling for us in life. We have the same relationship to him now as the Son, as he had to the Father. What the Father would do through him, the Son is prepared to do through us. It's simple and yet absolutely profound. Christ is in us through the Spirit, releasing at any point of human need the power of God to meet that need. Jesus lived like this all the time. He didn't release the power of God only when he was raising people from the dead or from their sickness. He did it when he spoke to the lonely or the heartsick or the broken person and brought life into them and faith. In the same way as healing that, that paralyzed man, he released God's power as he walked and talked with the disciples. It was the same power that made his words full of impact and meaning to the woman at the well who had, you know, the one who had five husbands and was still trying to find satisfaction in life with a man without marriage. We saw that back in chapter four. Here's the secret of God's power. It begins with self-denial. I cannot. I don't. I don't have anything in myself that can accomplish this thing. But God can, and he wants it done. And when you obey that, it results in a release of God's power. Jesus could say to the paralyzed man, stand up, and the man was immediately on his feet. Words, uh, what are they? But little puffs of air and sound coming out of somebody's mouth. Sometimes even millions of words have no impact, no power. Think of all the words we hear each day or read pouring incessantly into our ears with little power behind them, all the words of politicians and the media outlets and pundits. So many of these words absolutely empty. Yet words can have tremendous impact if the one speaking the word has real power. <clears throat> Sometimes a single word from God can hit you in such a way that it utterly changes your life from then on. Well, Jesus goes on to detail what is behind this divine process of power. He says it flows out of the Father's love for the Son. The Father whom Jesus is talking about, remember, is the Creator the one whose brilliance conceived the glory of nature, all the marvels of life, the intricate processes of the natural world. This creative divinity loves the Son and delights to communicate to Him <clears throat> in any and every given situation. And Jesus responds to the situation with His own creative, loving alternative to all the things that would destroy or hurt or maim or create sorrow. So it is with our relationship with the Son. He is the Lord of life, the Lord of nature, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of nations, and He loves us. <clears throat> it's His delight to communicate to us creative alternatives to the situations in which we find ourselves. We're normal human beings who have access to a power 
a wisdom, a creative mind that's outside of ourselves, a connection with Christ through the Holy Spirit, who can suggest new approaches that seem simple or even simplistic in and of themselves, but when they're filled with the divine spirit, filled with God's divine wind, they can be like the sails on a great sailing ship that can move us forward. Then next, this process is to be without limit. He says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. The Father shows Jesus all, the whole thing. He has it and he knows it all. And that's not like us because Jesus is in the process of revealing himself to us, revealing God's will and God's plan, but not all at once. Ultimately, it will include everything, but for now, we sort of see in a cloudy mirror as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, not everything is 100% clear to us, but what we do know is true. And the full clarity of vision of our vision of God and God's purposes, Jesus has that already and has had that at all times, but he is now revealing God's glory to us. And ultimately, we will see all of God's glory when we're with him in heaven. We don't have it yet, but we're moving in that direction. Verse 20 says that God will show even greater things. This full revelation of himself through the Son and the Spirit is going to be a gradual revelation. Greater works than these will he show him. That's a gradual process, even for Jesus in a way. Remember, Jesus as a boy, in his humanity, he didn't know everything about his mission on earth as the Messiah. Where and when all the pieces came together for that and his own self-understanding, we don't really know because we're really not given much information about the boy Jesus or even the teenage Jesus. But now as we see him in the Gospels, Jesus the man has grown into his understanding and his strength. And as he does, he will participate in the works of the Father until he can say in John 17, 4, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. That's in his high priestly prayer. And this is the process Jesus is teaching us. God's power is not handed to us as a package that we can use for our own benefit and make a name for ourselves. If we think it is, we'll discover that though we may, you know, win the applause of the crowd, we're not going to we're going to remain hollow in our hearts because God's power is really not going to connect there. God's power is released only when we use it as the sun did for the glory of God, for the doing of the Father's will at any given moment. When that happens, he gives us more power. And that's how we grow in our ability to manifest the power and the grace of God. That's why a life that walks with God can become more beautiful and more free and more real as it grows and grows and ages. Life becomes richer and fuller, even though it may be lived in the midst of a hostile opposition as as in Jesus' case, persecution picks up from this point on in the gospel. And Jesus consciously embraced that path. This is a pattern for us. Just like with Jesus, God wants to teach us that everything we need, we have through the Spirit. Finally, in verse 21, the last step. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Every manifestation of the Father's power or the Son's power released in us is going to awaken a sense of wonder on the part of those who see it. A simple word, a simple act of compassion, a cup of cold water given to somebody in the name of the Lord 
that's going to leave an impact that will make people marvel. There was a verse in Romans 8 that follows a verse that we often quote. It seems like everybody knows Romans 8.28, that wonderful verse that kind of steadies us in our times of trial, that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. But the next verse says this, whom he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's Romans 8.29. God is not content with having only one son. He wants many sons and daughters. Hebrews says that he might lead many sons to glory. It's Hebrews 2.10. Sons is a generic term. It includes both men and women. God did all this so that he might have many children who are like his son. And so he has predestined us. And that word means that God is intent on it. And if he's intent on it, he will not fail in doing it. He is at work on it right now, and he will finish his work. That's God's promise. The processes of change are now happening in your life and mine in order to teach us this very formula of behavior, that we refuse to use God's power for our benefit and willingly respond to the inner impulse of compassion or mercy or love that we feel within us in any given situation. In this way, we will learn to operate by the mighty power of God, the mightiest power in the universe, that we might become like his son. And that's really the goal at the end of this, is that we might become like the son. That's what Jesus is going through all this for, so that we can become like him. So that's really the goal of being a Christian, to model not just what Jesus says about himself in this passage, but also to absorb the very power of God into our lives, to have the same kind of relationship of intimacy with the, with the Lord as Jesus has with the Father. Now, Jesus prays for this in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Go read that prayer, how much Jesus wants for us to experience the same kind of experience that he is, is having with the Father. So here's the, the take-home from this particular passage. When you think that one day you're going to be, by God's grace and power, conformed to the image of his Son, you are left with one question. How much change are you in for in the days ahead? How much change am I in for? God is working on me. God is going to change us. And change sometimes is painful. We oftentimes want to be left alone. It's more comfortable to stick with what we know than to have to venture out into that new territory. Most of us don't like to be prodded and jabbed and made to think about things that we'd rather not want to think about. But God is going to change us. He's still smoothing down our rough edges. And the change will be that we might learn how to function according to the power of the living God. Function so that his spirit can have impact through us that will not fail. Not only on the lives of those near to us, but perhaps for generations upon generations after we've left this earth. Jesus has modeled this kind of life for us. He did it perfectly. Yet God in his grace has made provision that as imperfectly as we do it, we can still learn to grow as his power is gradually granted to us by the Spirit that we might leave an impact on the world behind us. Because let's face it, there are many blind people present in our world today. 
people who cannot see where they're headed, who are stumbling into disaster, and they do not even know it. There are lame people here, those who cannot walk as they should. They, they might know how, but they can't seem to make themselves do it. Instead, they stumble and falter and fall. And there are paralyzed people here who want to do more than they're doing, but their wills seem to be in the grip of something that they cannot break habits or addictions. They find themselves returning again and again and again to habits of thought, attitudes of the mind, behaviors which they know are wrong and hurtful. Yet there are also people here who hear the voice of Jesus saying to them, rise, take up your bed and walk. You don't have to be like this, for I'm standing right in front of you saying these words to you. Almost certainly there are people who will respond to that and who obey what Jesus says. They will find that they have the power to be different when they do it in such a sense not to bring glory to themselves, but only to the Father. You know, a lot of times when I feel like this is just way too much to ask, that this is too big a challenge to actually walk with Christ uh, in this kind of intimate and powerful way, in this way of the Spirit flowing into our lives on a regular basis, on an hourly basis, in times when I feel discouraged because I know I'm not walking that way, I'm inspired by these words who are written by a guy named Dick Woodward, who was a pastor from Williamsburg, Virginia. And when I heard him speak and give this, uh, he was confined to a wheelchair and he was in the advanced stages of uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Uh, I'll put this in the episode description as well if you want to copy it there. But it goes like this. He said, I'm not, but he is, and I'm in him, and he's in me. I can't, but he can, and I'm in him, and he's in me. I don't want to, but he wants me to, and I'm in him, and he's in me. I didn't, but he did, and I'm in him, and he's in me. And while they suppose that he did, I know that he still does. God is who he says he is, and he can do anything that he says he can do. You are who he says you are, and you can do all that he says you can do. Amen. May the power of the Holy Spirit flow into your heart this week. Have a great one.